Thank you for checking out Coffee Pods, a Coffee Break length look into the Christian healing ministry. Through honest discussion, Season 6 has us talking about when our own healing journey has been challenged. So, whether you're a cappuccino, a latte, or an Americano, there's something here for you. So pick up your coffee mug, plug in your earbuds, and let's talk. Hi Wes, how are you doing? Yeah, absolutely fine. Glad to be back again. Yeah, ready for another big question. Oh gosh, I love them every time. <laughs> okay, so this is it. And uh, we, we gave a little heads up last week that we are going to be exploring today whether demons can come back. Um, and so this does come from a passage in Matthew 12. And it is a concern, obviously, for some people. And it's not quite a world which people have great understanding or experience of, I don't think. So in that story in Matthew 12, um, what's happening? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I must take a look at the demonic today. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and rightly so, please. Absolutely. Well, in Matthew 12, the key in the whole story is context. This is the one where Jesus says, you know, if somebody uh, gets a demon uh, out of them and, uh, you know, they wander off and the demon comes back and says, oh, this is a nice, tidy place. I'll come back. Mm. And, and he brings his mates in and things a whole lot worse. So, you know, that's the panic button of, of the story. But context is important. It's, it's how parts that come before and after all fit. It's like the frame around which the picture is mm. sort of um, held. So let me just give you literally a quick run through the passage. Um, chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, and if you're driving a car and listening to this, please don't look at the Bible at this moment <laughs> in time. But um, verse one, it says, at that time, now that's one of Matthew's literary devices. It's the way he says, okay, here's the thing. It's mm. starting right now. And it centers on a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Okay. So you have to remember all of that as this story unfolds. Okay. So uh, verse, the first eight verses, one to eight, are about the corn story, the disciples taking corn on the Sabbath, rubbing it in their hands. And according to the Pharisees, that was work. And you think, gosh, in that case, can I have the job? You know, there's not a lot going on there. Um, verse 15 to 21 is Jesus um, heals a man with a shriveled arm on the Sabbath. You have to remember that. Okay. So then Jesus, there's conflict. Jesus withdraws. A loud crowd follows him. Um, verse 22 has the word then which is really important because it says, hey, these two things are connected. This mm. is carrying on. This is still the Sabbath. Okay. And it says um, they then bring a demonized man to him and Jesus heals him. And maybe that's the example perhaps that Jesus is going to go for, but it, it doesn't yeah. say it. So, you know, whatever. Um, then it follows the accusation from the Pharisees. You're only doing getting rid of demons by the power of, of Satan, which is like, yeah, really dumb. And Jesus <laughs> says, okay, you know, he talks about a divided kingdom and about robbing the strong man's house. And so you can only do that if you you do it in the right way, sort of thing, whatever. Um, there then comes the unforgivable sin issue and the Holy Spirit, which is like rig alarm bells for everybody else. Um, and then um, Jesus talks about good and bad fruit in verses 33, 37, 38, 42. He talks about the sign of Jonah. And as another clue, he talks about this generation, okay. the Sabbath this generation 
Okay. And then coming after that, he talks about this particular story, you know, this residency of the demonic in somebody's life and can they come back? And, and Jesus ends this section, this from that moment at that time section in verse 45 with Jesus says, so it will be with this wicked generation. So you've got to say, okay, hang on a minute. This is not just about me. This is, this is a, a bigger thing. And so actually it's still the Sabbath and it's been the whole conflict has been about that and about the Holy Spirit. So in that, um, Jesus is confronting the, the powers of the religious system. I'm nearly finished. And, <laughs> and, and it's about this wicked and corrupt generation. All of those things have to come together. Um, and, and in a sense, Jesus is sort of saying in the story, I came to cleanse the house which of course he's done literally physically in the temple. And he's also said, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. So hang on a minute. There's there's a big thing going on here. And he says, it's the same with this generation. He says, look, I came to clean the house. And if you don't accept this, and if you don't respect the presence and activity of the Holy spirit, you're going to be worse off than you were. And of course the truth is after his death and resurrection in AD 70, they really were an awful lot worse off so that's the context before you even look at the story wow yeah there you go there's there's breakfast done (laughs) yeah so context really does matter yeah absolutely yeah so would you say um is there a book or anything you might recommend to help us get a better understanding of how the bible works so you're able to say context matters a lot of us over here wouldn't be thinking like that so how you know how do you get to that point Um, well, yes, and it's funny actually that the guy who really helped me and schooled me, he just said this: read the text. Mm. You know, read the text without reading into it all your other stuff. But there is a book, um, and it, and I love this book. It's called Reading the Good Book Well, um, and it's by Jerry Camry Hoggett, and that's C A M E R Y H O G G A double T. Reading the Good Book Well. It's, I mean, it reads almost at times like a novel, it's, but it's brilliant. It's about how you should read and interpret the scriptures. And so context really does matter, particularly in this story. Yeah. And you also mentioned the unforgivable sin, um, <laughs> which I'd like to go into a bit more. In Christian ministry, some people do get concerned about this. So what's what's the issue here? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had people who said, look, I'm really worried that I've committed the unforgivable sin. And I say, are you really worried about it? And they say, yes, I really am. I said, in that case, you haven't. And they say, well, why? Well, one, you can't commit the unforgivable sin by accident. It's not like, oops, I did it again. I mean, (laughs) it's not like that at all. It's really, really intentional. It's much uh, more than uh, that. Um, Because it's about the role of the Holy Spirit in your conscience. Okay, so the, the truth is, you need conviction from the Holy Spirit to be able to repent. If, if yeah. he doesn't talk to you, you, you can't get there. Yeah. You know? And so if you've told him to go and never come back and never be a part of your life or be a part of your thinking or be a part of your life, the Holy Spirit respects your choice. Mm-hmm. So your conscience is yours. And so are you going to feel bad about committing the unforgivable sin? No, you're not. And so if you do feel bad about it, you haven't done it. Mm. So there is more to the story than simply an individual thing. Um, but Jesus uses an individual as an example, doesn't he? Um, so could you maybe explain what the individual element means? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? In the midst, of, as Jesus often does, he, he'll take a child and put them in the middle to, to mm. explain a, a huge principle. So he takes this story, and I don't know, maybe it was related to the man who's just, he, he's just healed and whatever. Mm. But um, the question really is, um, Satan acts like a lawyer. He knows the law. Absolutely. So, and you see that in the temptation story. Yeah. You know, I often think Jesus and the temptations sounds like a band, but it, but it really isn't. In in the temptation story, when Jesus says, "Look, it is written," Satan says, "Yes, it is," but it's also written here. And Jesus says, "Yes, it is," but it's written. And he says, "Yes, but it says this." And so there's this conflict. And of course, Satan's first accusation in the Bible in Genesis three is, "Has God said?" You know, and so there's this this thing going on. So what I would say is, um, the, the demonic can only ever ever stay where it's welcomed, mm. where it's given space. It can only ever stay where it has a legitimate claim on somebody's life, mm. and that's through choices and actions and activity uh, of of the past and the present. And the other issue is it can only stay where it has permission to stay. I mean, I, we once prayed for somebody and, and the person who was, who was leading the prayer said to this person, do you want to be free from this? And the person said, no. Yeah. You know, that's it. I mean, conversation over. You can't do anything against the person's free will if they've exercised that. Mm. And so I think in this, um, the, the big issue that we have, particularly when it comes down to physical sickness and, and issues of heart and mind, people are really sort of concerned about, you know, am I subject to powers that I have no control over? Mm -hmm. and, and there may be things that do impact us, certainly. But I think coming out of that, I, I would say we're not powerless. And, and that's the myth, I think, that many Christians have sort of picked up, sadly. Yeah, I agree. And in, in James 4, it tells us, doesn't it, to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil and he'll free from you. And I was thinking last night, I wasn't sleeping and I was thinking about this issue. And I think sometimes, well, I was wondering, do we sometimes uh, not resist the devil? Do we sometimes give him permission to come into our lives, whether we know we're doing it or not? I guess it's what, which voices we listen to. I love that. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, th that is true. And I think, you know, Satan is often a master tactician, knows how to play us mm -hmm. apart from anything else. And funny you should mention the James passage, because if you do the context thing with James, um, before James gets to this thing about, you know, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will free, flee from you. He he talks to this church. I mean, would you think about it? He talks to this church about their fights and quarrels, about their battles of desire within them, wrong desires. Mm -hmm. He talks about um, the fact that those desires aren't met. So they resort to physical violence and they covet, they quarrel, they fight, they ask with wrong motives. He calls them an adulterous people who are enemies of God. You want to think, yeah, that sounds a bit like a recipe to say, please, Mr. Nasty Person, come right on in and make yourself at home. Yeah. And, and then, of course, James then comes down to the, the, the part where he says, OK, the thing to do is submit to God. So we're not going to be we're not going to get any of the demonic shifted if we don't submit to God. It says then and the thens are so important in the Bible. If I could just get Christians to remember then it says submit to God and then resist the devil, then 
he will flee from you. And so it's this process. And we often want to say, please, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. But God says, no, you've got to have to walk out of here with me. So what I would say to, to people is this, you know, you're not powerless. You can call upon God. You can submit to God. And sometimes it's helpful to do it with somebody else, um, you know, present in the room who can pray and, and witness with you. But, you know, it's about all the other stuff in life as well. Mm, yeah. Have you got any stories maybe where, oh, oh. you know, this has been a reality for you? Yeah, or? well, I mean, I don't know what you think about this story. It's, it's great. My mate it was a pastor in London. He's driving home from a meeting late one night in, in uh, South London, and he sees these guys who have climbed over the wall of a builder's yard and are unloading stuff into a wheelbarrow on the other side of the thing, then obviously nicking it. And he drives by and and, and it's like God speaks to him and says, whoa, whoa, don't, don't ignore this. Mm. So he, he reverses back up, he gets out of the car. And of course, you know, in South London late at night, you think, mm, do I really want to yeah. do this? He says to the guys, hey, look, look, I'm not the police, okay, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian minister. I just want to, can I tell you something just before you go any further? He says, by doing this, you are inviting demonic forces to come and mess with your family and your life and your your all that you own if you steal you're saying to say no it's okay come rob me not just of of the things that i own but of the things in my life you know and he says i just want to say to you please don't do this because you're saying to demonic powers that you have no control over yeah 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 come in make some yeah. home so the guy, what would you do if you were one of the robbers you know the guy looks at him he says you, you joking he says no 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 i've seen says i've seen this so much <laughs> So in the end, this conversation goes on and they say, what should I do? A bit like the Bible, isn't it? What must I do? <laughs> and he says, well, you've got to put it back. And they were so convicted by the fact that he'd stopped and by what God had said to them that they started to put it back on the other side of the wall, except they came back to one bag of cement that was left. He says, the guy says, look, can I keep this? It's only a little bit. <laughs> and then mate says, do you want demons to mess with you just a little bit? And the guy says, no, I really don't. He says, then, okay. And they put it all back, got in the van and drove off. <laughs> and you think, do you know, that that's probably some of the best evangelism I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, and I love that because um, I think often when we think of demons and we think of casting them out, and it, it often would take place in some sort of meeting. Yeah. And then you think, well, that, you know, it's done with and it should be done with. But this is an example where there's been conviction um, and life spoken into these people. But I think it also shows how easily we can welcome things back into our life that are not of God and of his goodness. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And mm. what I would say is getting rid of demons doesn't have to be messy. No. It doesn't have to be noisy and it doesn't have to be troublesome because there is, of course, the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, in Philippians too, isn't it, that, it says it's a name above all other names. And so how does that work, Wes? Well, I've learned it's got to be more than words. You can't just tack in Jesus' name on the end of a prayer mm -hmm. and make it work because it's not the words that are in Jesus' name simply. It's the person saying them mm. that is in Jesus' name. Therefore, the words have authority and and it is about authority and authenticity and and the guy who really you know mentored uh, mary and i for 20 years you know he said to exercise authority you have to live under authority 
And so here's the thing again, isn't it? You know, you've got to live in the context where you want to say, I'm not allowing anything to mess with uh, my life. Um, And actually the name of Jesus, you know, isn't it interesting? It's the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Every other power has to say you're in charge and we're not. That's the, that's where the where's paraphrase of Philippians too. Um, the power of that name. And actually, you know, I would say to people, why don't you pray and say, God, give me a revelation of how heaven sees and hears the name of Jesus. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's quite an issue, isn't it? But mm. do you think that we should be afraid of the demonic? No, no, I, I'm not afraid of it. I have a healthy respect for it. Yeah. I mean, I mean they're not playing. Okay. I mean, and actually, I think, you know, some, some Christians get really afraid and paranoid about it, but, but there's no need to be because of the name of Jesus. If you live in, in the name of Jesus, and yes, we all do it imperfectly. Absolutely. I, I, you know, me too, but I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better. <laughs> and, and I think I wouldn't be afraid of it. Um, it's like the whole thing about spiders, isn't it? They're more afraid of you than you are of them. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult to believe that when it's a big one, isn't it? Um, but the truth is, particularly in, rela- in relation to healing, you know, um, I know what God's desires are. I know what Jesus would do. And Jesus, John Wimber used to say, Jesus never met a demon that he liked. And uh, I think, no, respect, yes, fear, no. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think also um, I remember on one of our events to do with prayer, you mentioned about like praying in the name of Jesus. For me, that was a huge eye-opener because it always felt like a little bolt-on at the end mm-hmm. um almost like a little badge type thing like, well I said it in the name of Jesus whereas um things for me in regards to prayer have been transformed because of this understanding and I'm gonna do a little plug but if anyone here who's listening is interested in more of this sort of stuff because it totally helps our relationship with God and our own healing journey by learning about these things we do have lots of stuff where Wes talks about this in a lot more depth. Um, but this is a great little um, taster, I suppose, um, of the mm. things that we that we do love talking about here. But I'm going to ask, Wes, that you would pray for us and, and those that are listening before we close. Yeah, absolutely. Father, I need, we need a revelation of how Jesus sees us. And we need, I need a revelation of how heaven sees and hears the name of Jesus. And Lord, so to every person listening today, Lord, for those who are fearful that there might be powers and things messing with their lives. Father, I ask them, ask you, Lord, to draw them now into the comfort of your being present with them. Lord, just reveal to them whatever however they need to submit and give in to you because lord jesus when we've given in to you then other things can't make us give in to them and so lord i pray for each person that we might just submit we might just give in to you and allow your beautiful presence to come and cleanse our house and our heart So let the presence of God now be with you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit come upon you. And this I ask 
because of my relationship with Jesus. So I ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So uh, if you could kindly remind us of that book, Wes. Um, yeah, it's called Reading the Good Book Well. Um, subtitle, A Guide to Biblical Interpretation. And it's by a guy called Jerry Camry hyphen Hoggett. And uh, Jeremy, uh, Jerry is, um, funnily enough, he's professor of New Testament and narrative theology at uh, the Vanguard University in California. And also at the time of writing, he was director of the Scholars Programme for the John Stott Ministries. So it's a good book. Yeah, uh, thank you. So yeah, do check that out. And next week, huge question, (laughs) which is we're going to be chatting through whether Jesus ever got sick or can oh, he, can wow. he get sick? Could he get sick? So we will be enjoying that one next week. <laughs> we'll catch Gosh. you all soon. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Coffee Pods. We hope that you have found today's episode helpful and inspiring. If you have a question of your own about Christian healing, send it to info at acornchristian.org and we'll respond. For more information about Acorn, our events and how to support our work, check out www.acornchristian.org. See you next time.